Today on the Women Mind the Water Artemis series on WomenMindTheWater.com, I am speaking with Suzette Bausbaum, a Netherlands-based visual artist. Suzette focuses on ecological crises and collaborates with environmental scientists. She engages audiences by using a variety of techniques, including photography, glass blowing, and weaving to create experiences that engage our senses and assist us in wrapping our minds around big abstract concepts. The Women Mind the Water Art of a Series podcast on WomenMindTheWater.com engages artists in conversation about their work and explores their connection with the ocean. Through their stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. I am speaking with Suzette Bausma, an emerging visual artist based in the Netherlands. She has garnered attention through international exhibitions and media coverage in such places as the Netherlands, New York, Kuwait, and France. She tackles the subject of climate change through her art. In one of her projects, she photographs ice cores collected in Antarctica and Greenland. The bubbles trapped in the ice cores document the amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Some of the bubbles are tens of thousands of years old. Welcome, Suzette. I am grateful to Tracy Metz, another Dutch artist and an earlier guest on the Women Mind the Water Artivist Series podcast for introducing me to your work. I'd like to spend much of our time together exploring the subject of ice cores and air bubbles. Let's begin by learning a bit about you and how you became interested in climate change. Help us understand how you became interested in art as a means to explore such a big subject. Well, thank you for the invitation. I'm really happy to uh, to be speaking with you about my art. Um, yeah, how did I grow up? <laughs> Um, I've always lived by the sea. I live in The Hague in the Netherlands. And I think you can see that also back in my projects that they're often related to the sea. For example, for the for the air catching um, or the air archive project, I go to the beach. For the um, uh, plastic project I did, I go to the beach. So there's a lot uh, coming back in my practice. So actually, I wanted to become a veterinarian when I was in high school. Um, but because of some, uh, circumstances like not having high enough grades and, um, that kind of things, <laughs> I, uh, I couldn't enter that. Um, and then another career path was more on the creative side. So I went to art school, but later, um, yeah, my fascinations came together again and I started making projects about environmental topics. So you Thank attended the Royal Academy of Art in the Netherlands. How did you yeah. come to work with scientists who collect ice cores? Maybe you could start by describing what an ice core is. Uh, an ice core are uh, is actually yeah tubular samples of ice uh, that scientists drill out of the ice sheets on Antarctica and Greenland. Uh, so with a really big machine, they yeah they kind of make a hole in the in the ice and then take it up, and then what you see is a lot of layers. Um, that go back in time, like a book almost. Um, and actually what you see are yeah very tiny bubbles, which are yeah air bubbles that are captured over time 
and uh, the way these are formed are because layers of snow um, yeah, end up on other layers of snow every year. And then the the pressure of the weight is actually causing the snow to form into ice. And then the air that was between the snowflakes is now trapped inside the ice as air bubbles. So that's what they're uh, yeah, digging up when they're doing that research. And they can use these ice cores to, uh, yeah, to research the history of climate change currently until 800,000 years ago. But I think there is now a project where they're trying to make an even deeper um, yeah, core uh, that goes until 2 million years ago. Well, how does somebody who go to the Academy of Art to study art end up working with scientists collecting these ice cores? Well, I knew uh, for my graduation project, I wanted to do something with global warming. Uh, and I knew that, um, well, the place where it has most effect or where the effects of climate change is most visible were the ice caps uh, on the North Pole and the South Pole, especially Greenland, where the ice, uh, the sea ice is melting very rapidly. Uh, so I knew that that was kind of linked, and but I wanted to know more about it. And then I thought I want to collaborate with a scientist. So actually, yeah, it was very new to me because of course I was still a student and yeah, how do you go about it? But I actually just Googled like scientist, the climate, <laughs> the Netherlands and Antarctica or something like that. And then uh, someone came up who is actually also the weatherman of the Netherlands, huh. one of the uh, weathermen on the, on the television. Right. And, but he was also uh, a polar researcher. So I contacted him because actually it's really nice that all the scientists, they actually work as um, lecturers at the universities and then um, they all have their email on the websites. So it's actually really easy to email them. Very convenient. Yes. <laughs> so that's what I did. <laughs> so when did you first see ice cores up close? Did you actually travel to the one of the sites of collection? No. Um, I actually first thought I would need to go there, but, um, and I wanted to go there because how amazing is it to go to the, to Antarctica or something like that. But then again, I was graduating and like within three months or something, I had to have a project. So there was some time pressure. Um, and then I got in contact with this scientist and he actually told me about this research, um, and then also that they have in the University of Utrecht, where he works, they have on the sixth floor, uh, yeah, a walk-in freezer, uh, where it's actually a whole room that's frozen. And they keep the degrees under minus 30 degrees Celsius, so very deep freeze. Um, and they have boxes of ice cores there that they have been keeping there since I was born in 19... Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Who would know? You just walk into a freezer in some city and there are these ice cores. So you didn't photograph the whole core, you photograph sections, correct? Yeah, I photograph uh yeah, a little slice from the middle. They actually have a saw in the in the freezer. <laughs> so it's the whole room, right? So they have a saw to sometimes make slices. Uh but they usually like when you have a core, they make slices like this to right. look at them. But I wanted to make a slice through the middle because then you have the whole, uh, yeah, three, ah. you know. So what technical issues did you encounter in photographing the cores in an ice, a walk-in ice chest? 
<laughs> so to photograph them, you actually need to uh, let them melt a little bit. You can imagine that when you have a uh, block of ice in your freezer, it's uh, like white from the cold. Mm -hmm. But when you put it in your glass and it starts to melt, it becomes see-through. And that's actually what I needed uh, in order to yeah, photograph it uh, and let the bubbles reflect the light. So I uh, took it out of the freezer, just in a room, and mm -hmm. I uh, waited until it was going to melt. And then when it started to get see-through, I started photographing. And um, yeah, I, I used flash from behind. So actually, uh, a lot of the photograph is black because that's where just the shadow is. And actually, the only thing you see in the photographs are the bubbles. So you don't actually don't see the eyes in the photographs. Very interesting. So they didn't mind that that with well, a little slice that you took was going to melt. Uh, well, it was actually in the beginning very hard because they didn't want to give me a, an ice core <laughs> because I was I was a student, I think, right. and it's they kept it there, like I said, for like twenty five years uh, for scientific purposes. So they were not really planning to to give some ice cores to uh, a random person. But then I started to come there more often and like every time, like I think six times I went back to look like, oh, and what's in that box and what is in that box? And then in the end, um, there was one box that they didn't archive very well. So they, they did know that it was from Antarctica and from um, the coordinates they knew. But there were some data that they didn't record uh, well in their um, computer. So they couldn't really use them. Um, and then I got to have those four ice cores. Well, I have to say that your persistence paid off. What kind of technical issues did you encounter in photographing the core? Uh, well, it was all, it's very difficult to photograph something that's melting, especially if it's like a, it was a block of like this, like 10 by 20 centimeters of, and like one centimeter thick. Um, and every time I stuck it into some kind of thing to hold it uh, standing up because I needed to have it uh, placed somewhere to be able to photograph it. Right. Um, but every time where it was standing on, it melted away and then it fell down. <laughs> so uh, every time I, I put it down, I had to photograph it and then it was slowly going like that again. Um, so as you photographed these sections, did you see anything that surprised you? Um, when it was melt, of course, the bubbles, they are trapped in the ice, but when it's melting, um, slowly some bubbles are released because they are just at the wall of the ice. And then, uh, what you hear is bubbles that are popping open. Really? So, you hear them? Yeah. Yeah. You hear like pop, 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 because it's, yeah, it's melting and the air is released. So, um, yeah. And it's kind of fascinating that you're, because the ice cores that I photographed were 20,000 years old. So you're, you're breathing in the yeah Antarctic air of that time, which is really crazy to imagine. <laughs> so how does it feel? How do you feel when you realize that you're breathing air for thousands of years ago? Yeah, it's really crazy. Only actually, when you think about it, all the air that is here has been here already for eternity. Only the composition is a bit different. So actually, the, the air that you're breathing right now is also ancient air. So if you think about it. <laughs> so you have another project that involves uh, the bubbles, but this time you're blowing your own glass bubbles. And the glass bubbles you create contain air that you've collected from pre-selected sites. I believe your intention is to create an archive of 
air that exists today, similar to the way the air is trapped in the ice cores. How do you go about collecting the air? And even more interesting, how do you get it inside the glass bubble? Well, I brought one to show you. <laughs> so it's a bit easier to explain. Um, so yeah, the idea was actually that, uh, you know, the, the, the air that's in the ice sheets is like the climate archive of the history. And um, if global warming continues like this, um, yeah, our air of our generation might not be captured in the ice or it might be captured, but soon it will be melting again. So then like our layer of, um, of the history is not uh, archived. So I began speculating uh, about that. And for that reason, I wanted to start my own air archive. Um, but I wanted to continue with the archive of Antarctica. So I thought I have to go there every month to to capture the air there. But of course, that's not really sustainable to make a trip every time just to collect some air. Right. Uh, so I, I, mm -hmm. I told this to the scientists, like, hey, uh, what do you think? And then, uh, or can I maybe also do it here? Uh, and then he said, well, if it's about the CO2 concentration, you can do it at any place in the world uh, where the air is coming from a relatively clean place. So for example, when you're uh, standing at the seashore um, and the air is coming from sea, uh, it is very well mixed already. And CO2 is a very yeah well mixed gas. So um, whenever you're at a clean place, it's almost the same as in Antarctica. So that gave me kind of the option like, okay, I can do it here uh, near my home. So I can and see see you can use something like a turkey baster or whatever to, to suck out the air. But then how do you get that air into your, your glass bubble? Yeah, so actually what uh, the system that I use is, so I blow this uh, bubble first and then I um, put on this stick, which actually has a vacuum system. Right. So you can maybe see that uh, now it's like open right. and now it's closed. Maybe uh -huh. like you see a little tube going. So right. now it's open and now it's closed. Uh, so what I do, I can actually uh, give an example. I suck out the air with my mouth and then a slight vacuum is being created. And then uh, I can close it and then I can go to the beach and open it. And then you hear like... Uh -huh. So the, the air of that exact moment went in, I close it again, and then at the, yeah, at the torch, I melt it again, and then it's a closed bubble filled with the air of that exact moment. Well, thank you for explaining and even more interesting showing us. Um, I'm going to ask you, to me, it's really interesting that you've taken scientific research and moved it into the artistic realm. Do you think your glass bubble project can be extended beyond the artistic and into the scientific? I'm not sure if they will actually use it because uh, it's not an official measurement like they I like see. to use it. But I do um, capture two bubbles every month. So the idea is that one bubble I can use for presentations and exhibitions. And the second bubble uh, is for scientific research in the future. future. Uh, so yeah. They can use it. They can like break it open in twenty years or when they when they have maybe. That's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're co you're contributing to the knowledge, which is really why I guess you call your glass bubbles climate archives.
Um, and you have them for sale on your website. Each bubble comes with the location and date of where the water or the air was collected and where the sample inside uh, represents. What message or connection do you hope people get by owning a climate archive bubble? Well, the idea was really to see how I can involve my audience more into the project. And I think by making people an archivist or like a keeper of the archive, they get a very important role because they are, yeah, they are actually um, safeguarding that specific part of the archive. Um, and if it breaks, then we don't have it anymore. So uh, I think this gives some kind of responsibility to the person. So I'm going to change direction just a little bit, because one of the things I find most interesting is a photograph you took back in 2018. And for those in your audience who can't see the photo, it shows two men standing chest deep in the ocean. Both men are wearing white shirts and dark ties. Suzette, what is the story behind that really intriguing photograph? Uh, it was for an event from an insurance company. Uh, and they were, uh, the, the event was about global warming and how uh, global warming would affect their policies uh, to maybe not ensure uh, climate-related things, or, or they do, I don't know. Uh, but the event was called Head Above the Water. So how do we keep our head above the water? Um, so I was, I was just very inspired to... All, all these uh, men in business suits uh, talking about uh, how they can kind of go around the uh, the policies uh, to make it better for them, I guess. So I, I came to this idea of photog photographing two men in suits in the water with their uh, head just above the water. And it was actually a very stormy day. So the clouds were like very nice and dark and... Uh, yeah. It's very engaging. How did you find two people that were willing to stand in cold water during a stormy day? Uh, in the Netherlands, we have this um, Facebook group called uh, Models and Photographers. Uh -huh. um, so whenever somebody needs like a volunteer, you can uh, you can ask there. Uh, so the, the older guy, he comes from that platform and the younger guy is, uh, is a friend of mine. Oh, so very nice. And definitely... <laughs> A lot of what you do has been courtesy of the internet. So given the enormity of the issues related to climate change and its consequences for life on Earth, what advice can you offer to listeners who are experiencing climate crisis anxiety? Yeah, that's a really hard one. Uh, for me, making these art projects, it, it helps me to try at least to get a grip on these huge topics uh, and abstract topics. Um, and by trying to visualize it or to give it some kind of embodiment, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to make a way to relate to it better. Um, so I guess what I'm doing is focusing on, on very small, uh, details of the bigger issue or like an, a specific effect. So to narrow down maybe, and to focus on something that you can actually manage, <laughs> I fully understand. I, that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast. It's fascinating to talk to people, art, artivists that are handling the issue in different ways. It helps them feel that they're doing something of significance, or at least they're moving forward for themselves. And hopefully it's providing 
people who have anxiety with a, another way to see how they can deal with it or how other women are dealing with it. And I have to say, I respect the energy with which you are exploring these difficult topics. And I look forward to hearing more in the future about your work. I'd like to remind listeners that I've been speaking with Netherlands-based Suzette Bosma. Suzette is the latest guest on the Women Mind the Water Artivist Series podcast. The series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com, Museum on Main Street, and YouTube. An audio-only version of this podcast is available on womenmindthewater.com, on iTunes, and Spotify. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for the use of her song, Women of Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Ferris Olson. This is Pam Ferris Olson.